listening to the Inside Job Making CX Work podcast, where we share how you can make customer experience transformation a reality. Welcome back to Inside Job Making Customer Experience Work. My name is Jose Fabrion, and today's episode, we're going to be focusing on building a customer-centric organization with Margie Chu. Uh, so in my experience, there's been a lot of technological change, a lot of advancements in how marketing can be done. But, but from my observation, most companies really can't take advantage of their new tech, their new capabilities, because they aren't organized, right? They just, they can't harness it. So today with me is Margie Chu. Margie is a great friend of mine. Margie is a senior vice president in our consulting and strategy practice. And her specialty is really helping companies evolve their organizations so they can be more nimble and can take advantage of the new capabilities and really deliver that, that customer experience that, that we need. So Margie, welcome. I'm really thrilled to have you here. Could you tell, you know, tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Awesome. Hi, Jose. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm really excited about this topic. And I'm I have been helping companies, I would say, probably for the past 10, 15 years, I uh, focusing on organizational transformation, but not really as sort of a management consulting point of view. I'm actually a marketer. I'm I started out my career in advertising, traditional advertising, and actually spent a number of years in digital advertising and marketing. I'm at Razorfish. Um, and then at Wonderman, and for the last eight years, I've been um, at Merkle, where this really has been my primary focus. That's awesome. So you've you've certainly uh, seen how different companies approach. You've seen many different problems, certainly in marketing, but but beyond that. Um, so as we start to think about kind of organizational change, like that can be a daunting topic. But let's let's talk about some of the trends that are really going on. What's what do you see is driving, you know, I certainly see it in the work that we're doing, that there's a lot of interest in this. And I, I, I have my own hypotheses, but, you know, what do you see is, as driving that recent interest in, in organizational transformation? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this and there really are two, I think, main reasons. I'm more top line and then bottom line. I'm, and unfortunately, I think in recent months, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more around that second area. So the two areas really, one is around productivity. So that's the bottom line focus of reducing waste, increasing efficiency, really kind of doing more with less or doing the same with less. Um, and the second, which is where I like to focus, is this idea of kind of top-line growth. Um, so it's really around evolution of the business. This is what we talk a lot about at Merkle um, in terms of moving into customer centricity, moving into people-based marketing, um, where we are really helping clients look across really you know all of their capabilities, including technology, data, analytics, um, you know, strategy, and also people and processes. Um, so I think those are really kind of the two main drivers. Um, in recent months, it's, it's certainly been a little bit more around, hey, you know what, we need to cut costs, um, which is an unfortunate conversation that, you know, certainly does come up. Um, but, you know, along the same line, we're still seeing a, a lot of continued interest in terms of, you know, we're investing in our future right now. And we'd love to kind of think about what's necessary to do that. Absolutely. I mean, so cutting costs is is obviously part of what's been the mantra, you know, really over the last year, just given the reality in many in many industries. And then there's that that top line performance that's that's driven, you know, a big a big part by really just having to evolve 
companies, the way companies do do their work. I mean, being more nimble, being faster, reacting to competitors, all that sort of stuff. Are, are you? Would you say that you you see the trend of efficiencies, at least in, in the work that we're doing, continuing to be so predominant, or are you seeing more of a shift now to that top line focus? It's interesting. I kind of think about it in terms of in recently, it's it really by industry. I would say among those industries that have been harder hit um, by the pandemic, definitely they're still very much thinking about cost cutting mode. Among them, I think there are some you know forward thinking innovators who realize you can't cut your way to success. Ultimately, you need to think about investing. And then um, right now, the bulk of the, I would say, activity and interest and momentum is coming from those industries, which perhaps have been a little less impacted. Everybody's been impacted, right? Uh, where they do have a little bit of leeway, the luxury to think about um, investing for the future. So it's definitely still a mix. Um, and, and I definitely kind of see a little bit of different depending on uh, the sector that we're talking about. And you, you probably have seen the same as well, right? Absolutely. I, I tend to see a lot more on the on the enabling new capabilities, I mean, truth, truthfully, what I see is a lot of uh, either true top down, right? We're, we, we're going to go through a total digital transformation or uh, more commonly and a little bit smaller is the idea that I've purchased some technology and to get the value out of it, I, I actually need to shift the way that I'm, 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 I'm working right now. You know, I'd be... I'd be interested to know, you know, from your perspective, you know, what, why haven't people made some of these organizational shifts before, or why hadn't they really kind of looked at this? Yeah, it's interesting around the point around technology. That actually has been the driver. Um, ideally, we would love those clients who are coming to us at the beginning of the conversation where they realize they have a vision um, and they're just kind of lining up all of their capabilities, including technology, including data, and then people and processes. Um, and we certainly have a share of those um, on the flip side, we also see um, you know companies who are coming to us after the fact. Um, IT, the technology team, has made an investment. Um, they're a little frustrated because people aren't adopting uh, the investment or technology, not using it, not knowing how to use it. Um, in a way, we're kind of coming in after the fact uh, to help them build in the process, build in the training, build in the change management. Um, so I would say definitely technology has been a key driver. Um, and and I agree with you on that point. And 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 do you seek you know one one of the one of the things that I would say that is always the kind of scary thing is that somebody works on a project and kind of drops off a diagram and some powerpoints and things like that and and then it doesn't get implemented. Do you see companies really making that that shift and and getting into new models so that they can actually take advantage of their new capabilities or or basically get in formation to do the things that they want to do? Yeah, I, I actually am seeing more of that. I think I'm, especially the type of technology and, and implementation we're talking about, a lot of it is centered around um, this idea of integrating your data, integrating your channel, integrating your experience. In order to do that, I think it becomes uh, rapidly very clear to companies that their different channels and their different product different you know lines of businesses aren't actually communicating to each other um, in order to do that i'm i think 
it becomes more apparent in these types of scenario that they really do need to do something. Whereas I think in the past, if it's a piece of technology or a platform that sits within one group or within one channel, I this is not as urgent of a need. Whereas now suddenly it's like, oh, we actually do need to think about how we work uh, quite differently than you know what we're doing today. Right. So so the. Basically, the application is much more broad inside of the organization. So the 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 way that the or, the the people and the functions need to shift is is kind of more broadly considered than just inside of a traditional team. Is that absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. To bring that vision to life, you you really do need to have that single view of the customer. You do need to have a governance structure, a prioritization framework um, that really spans across all of your different business unit, all of your different channels, and that's something that's really hard because. Um, over the years, organizations has actually moved more towards decentralization and um, putting decision making and empowering the front line. We hear a lot about that um, because it is impactful, right? It's very efficient. On the other hand, it makes collaboration all the harder. So uh, there's a little bit of kind of reversing out. Um, you know, some of the changes that has happened, I would say, in the past, you know, five, 10 years to kind of bring things more into a slightly more coordinated, I won't go all the way to centralized, but definitely a more coordinated model. Do you see resistance to this? And, and if so, how do you break that down? <laughs> uh, yes, we do. It, it is. Um, change is hard. I think one of your questions earlier um, was around, you know, what gets in the way? Why is this hard? It's that, you know, I think by nature, organizations and people don't like change, right? Uh, we we like things uh, to be predictable. We like the status quo. Um, and so really the resistance that we see, um, you know, happens on a number of different levels. And there are a few things that we kind of think about when we're going into um, a situation like this. The first thing we're asking, uh, you know, clients to have in place is really executive sponsorship. Um, and you know this, one of the first questions we ask for is like, who's sponsoring this project? Um, and if it's a channel owner or a product owner, I'm not saying it can't be successful, but, you know, our chances of success are definitely much higher when we're higher up in the organization with an individual or a group of individual who is able to really uh, direct and even mandate, um, you know, this change if necessary. So I think it really starts with, is the organization behind this or is this really kind of a, you know, a bright idea of, you know, a, a manager who really needs more buy-in? Um, from the leaders and the peers. That, that makes sense. I mean, it certainly helps when when you've got the the, the buy-in from the top and and they can help make some things move. Um, you know, so let's let's take a shift a little bit here. Sure. You know, organizational change sounds negative, right? Um, or, or can to some. I yeah. would say, you know, my experience at Merkle, you know, we we were a growth company. We changed to meet that growth as kind of part of our our, our DNA. But for many others, it, it may not be that way. But so as we think about enabling this new customer experience, we think about, you know, we we've we've talked uh, so far in this podcast series about CX transformation in general. We've talked about it. Uh, in, in terms of data transformation, this is about the organizational piece. We're going to continue to talk about other things around innovation, et cetera. But you know, as we look into how we start to do some of these things, you know, where, where would you say people start once they've got that 
that top-down kind of buy-in that we we need to make a shift. We need to be more consumer focused. How how do how do you how how should others think about going about this? Yeah, we we have a, really an approach, a methodology where um, we come in and we call it a root cause analysis to really help an organization understand what's going on today. Um, sometimes we hear, yeah, I know we screwed up today. We just want to move on. But I think there are a lot of lessons that can be learned in terms of what not working as well as what is working today. So the, the four areas we tend to go into uh, span people, process, platform, and prioritization. Um, you know, people is really who's doing the work. So do we have a sufficient level of resource? Um, is there clarity around role definition, team skills? Are those um, the right one? The second is around process. So this is how work gets done. Um, so things around workflow management, your review and approval process, uh, QA, even error reduction. Um, and then prioritization, which is really which projects are getting done today. So things like workload management, um, you know, project queue transparency. Uh, platform, in a way, is really more around technology. I kind of bundle it with some of the areas that, you know, are very real in terms of technology capabilities, data access accuracy, because um, we certainly can't think that we can change the people in process and organization uh, without addressing that point. So I think we just want to be very comprehensive when we come in um, to understand what are the pain points um, in which of these areas are things going well, in which of these areas are things not going so well. Um, and then we sit down with the client to really align on what they want to be able to do. And then the last thing that we get into then is how do we do it? Um, what are the new processes? What are the new skills? What are the new prioritization criteria? Um, so it's really a, a pretty logical process in terms of starting with today, uh, looking across all of these different areas, uh, aligning on the use cases for the future. And then finally, you know, building out, you know, the, I think the Delta, what between where they want to be and where they are now and putting together really a roadmap uh, to kind of lay out those steps and, and the things that need to be done in order to achieve that future vision. That, ma that makes sense. As you say, it is very logical, but the devil's in the details there, of course, you know, uh, it should should companies be thinking about different KPIs as they go as they as they embark on this sort of uh, project or or ways ways of working? Yeah, KPIs is is definitely one of the sticking points. Um, you know, and and one very common reason for a resistant, and I'll kind of bring this around to the KPI, is that when we're talking about people based marketing, um, suddenly the different team, different channel team, realize they may actually be giving up part of, you know, their contactable universe because suddenly we're deciding, okay, there's a single customer. What is the best thing to say to him or her or the best experience? And it would channel, should it be delivered? And may not be your channel, right? So ultimately we're going to a point where we are, um, you know, prioritizing really what is that next best action, next best offer. Um, and very quickly, marketers realize, well, you know, I'm being held to a certain uh, revenue target, a certain conversion goal against a set volume. Um, if you start to take that volume away from me, shift it to other channels, there's no way I can hit that target. So it's actually a very rational reason for resistance. Um, and, you know, often this is not... 
Um, I don't think enough attention is paid to it. Um, we kind of go down the path of saying, well, you know what, it's just a little thing, you know, let, let's kind of discuss that later. Um, but I have found that when you really have those, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with the marketers as to why are they concerned, you know, it, it's kind of a very real reason. It's like, listen, I've got a target that I'm, you know, being expected to hit. And if you start taking away, you know, my universe and um, the people that I can talk to and shifting channels and shifting what I can and can't do to them, um, or really what I can and can't say to them and to whom, um, it's really going to impact uh, my ability to hit that goal. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think KPIs is huge. And that is really one of the bigger underlying uh, reason for resistance. So, so, I mean, have you ever been in this situation or would you recommend that as people embark on some of these transformation journeys and, and looking at the org themselves, they, they kind of get clearance in advance around KPI shifting, at least, you know, starting to get some level of um, relief for some people that need to make changes that may not be in the enterprise's best interest? Or yeah. rather, they, they have to make changes that are in the enterprise business interest, but are not necessarily in their own kind of year uh, target level. Um, yes, absolutely. absolutely. And, you know, also there are situations where they can be helped by that. And this is where I think when we start doing uh, modeling, when we get our analytics team involved, when we start doing pilot, we can really understand what that uh, shift looks like, if it really happens at all. Because I think... Mentally, you can kind of go, oh, yikes, you know, a certain portion of my folks are getting taken away. But what they're not accounting for is you may actually gain a certain population um, into your channel, into your product, who is more likely to convert, right? So really kind of going through that exercises size of understanding what that could look like. Um, and I, I think it actually is uh, easiest to understand when you actually go through a pilot where you say, okay, let's say, let's look at all the hand raisers for this particular product through these channels. Let's pull them out. What is that quantity? Let's talk to them in a different way at, you know, um, you know, at what rate are they converting? Let's compare it to those that we leave in our traditional channel. What does that look like? What's that volume? Um, it's a pretty, I would say, straightforward exercise. I won't say simple because nothing's ever simple. Um, but that actually goes a long way in terms of helping, you know, companies understand what that shift looks like. And more often than not, it actually benefits the bottom line. And yes, there might be some channels that perhaps were over contacting at some point, in which case it probably wasn't the best experience to begin with. But ultimately, uh, very quickly, we start to see the gain and um, really the upside from talking to the right people at the right time. That's very radical, Margie. Yep. <laughs> Fact <laughs> over fear, huh? <laughs> crazy <laughs> you know but you know what it actually goes into into a question that I, I always like to ask which is you know and, and i've got others but as you as you think about going through these organizational changes in support of customer experience transformation how do you how do you start to ascribe or measure value of of the efforts you know i mean how do you know you've done the right thing yeah, it, it, I, I would say there's definitely some, uh, the, the hard and soft metrics. Ultimately, we do and want to expect to see, uh, you know, the contribution to the top line improve, right? Ultimately, that's why we're doing it. Um, you know, all of these other metrics um, should lead up to, you know, revenue or cost. 
And that is something we absolutely must be looking at. The other thing, you know, from a people process point of view, I'm, I actually think about the culture. And, you know, I've been with Merkel long enough and the same clients long enough that fortunately we have been able to see some of that cultural uh, shift over time. And it is that culture where there is, I would say, more trust. I'm, there's more tolerance for, I, I would say, just debate, healthy debate and discussion, uh, revisiting uh, what's happening today and not really just, I, I think just being okay in terms of having a productive conflict. Um, that's what I like to see in terms of, you know, my measures of a successful transformation is one where I think a company realizes that there's no end. Uh, there's no finishing line, right? It is the fact that, you know, this is an ongoing process and it's not something that's sort of being done to them, um, but something that, you know, the company's expecting them to be a part of. Um, and, you know, my, I think, biggest success stories is when we go back a year or two later um, and we're no longer having to facilitate these conversations, but the team is self-facilitating. Um, they're having these open and honest conversations. They're doing regular check-ins. Um, so personally, from my perspective, as I think about people processes and operating model and organization, that's what I would love to see. So is there is there kind of a, a summary of that, that that you really see the value in this in the in the ability to deliver the experience and that experience can be measured and then shown in the context of top line value. So from an isolation perspective, it's not the easiest thing to do, but it's really about how organizational change supports that overall trans transformation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also kind of goes back to what were their original goals, right? Um, you know, for those clients who are hitting, trying to hit productivity goals, those are much easier to measure um, in terms of how many campaigns are you getting out the door? Um, you know, what's your error rate? All of those things are a pretty straightforward metric to measure. And then for those who are really thinking about evolution and, and people-based marketing, that really should be a top line. Um, but I think in both cases, we need, um, you know, to help clients get to a culture where, you know, they are comfortable with change because um, we know this isn't a one-time fix, is that things are going to keep on evolving and their ability to adapt to that is going to be really important um, going forward. Yeah, efficiency. You can yeah. efficiency is not always the best way to go, right? Um, in terms of, you know, in terms of whether it's marketing operations or anything like that, you can be highly efficient, but 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 not optimize your top line um, or your or your absolute profit. So totally Absolutely. jerking out a little bit there, <laughs> but, sure. but it's, it's totally true. And, and you know what I've what I've seen is that you know. Oftentimes, more specifically in the context of, of technology, and I guess I don't know why I'm totally focused on that today, but is that, you know, companies have what they need. They have the tools. They actually have the data to enable things. But many times it's the people, the organization is actually the inhibitor of actually making that work. And for me, it's in that context that I realize how important really getting the organization right to enable those things, you know, it really is. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I think this is a, I personally think this is fascinating because it, it yeah. does affect every company, uh, many people, uh, it's tied in with all sorts of, uh, different initiatives that happen inside of a company. 
And, um, you know, it's, it's not that simple because there are, as you say, you know, some resistance, you know, and politics do play a role and KPIs do play a role and all that sort of stuff. And it's, it's not simple, but yeah, um, it's doable and, and, and very important. Yeah. And I think you have a good point. I'm, Companies often don't realize how much they already have and what they can already do. That's that's actually a pretty common issue. Uh, they'll come to us asking for a certain piece of technology, or and when we go in to understand what they have in place, they actually have a you know fairly robust system. Um, what tend to be getting in the way is, is really as simple as communication. Is that you've got IT and tech on the one hand doing the investment. I'm not necessarily always consulting with the marketing or the business side. And then the business side sort of, you know, dreaming, I'm, you know, about their vision of the future state and, you know, maybe not necessarily checking in all the time with the tech and data to see, you know, what's possible, what's already possible. So I'm one of the first things we do too is I'm when I discussed before, after understanding the current state, it's just getting the teams in the room to envision what that future state is to build out that use cases. And every single time, you know, I will say a marketer or uh, someone from the business side would say, I would love to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and somebody from the tech side would say, well, we, we can do that. Nobody's ever asked me to do that. And then very quickly find out that they don't really talk to each other very often. They're often not in the same room. Um, decisions are made by both teams independently of the other. Um, and I think that cross-pollination really needs to happen um, it's hard because it's very hard to find individuals with skills on both sides of the house. It, it's kind of an unusual mix. Um, so typically what we like to do is take someone who's already sitting in one team or the other um, and then, you know, and has an interest on the other side um, and start to train them in that area. And I think that really goes a long way is that sort of having a common language, having a common understanding of what's possible and where you want to go. All right, then Margie, you you, you uh, pick the scab for me. Uh -oh. <laughs> but but so you know, I've I've totally seen it myself. Where yeah. you know, look, we, we do it to a degree ourselves. I don't want to be you know high and mighty here, but you know, uh, people are not in the same room. They're not necessarily communicating as much as they as they yeah. could be, right? Uh, and you know, one of the things that we hear specifically, you know, more often in the marketing world, but also in IT is, you know, the, the agile and uh, that sort of thing. I mean, do, do, are you seeing a big shift or movement towards more agile formations for teams in, in, ter in terms of supporting kind of new customer experiences and things like that? Yeah. And, you know, as we know, Agile has been really in place for from a, a technology um, and, and digital side for many, many years. I'm in the most one of the most recent customer um, engagement reports. We did a survey of companies and I want to say about two thirds of those surveyed are planning on increasing their use of agile for marketing. Um, so you know I try not to get too caught up in the ceremonies and the tools and you know I the nomenclature of of agile because I think that's for another podcast perhaps, but in terms of the spirit of Agile, of um, being customer-centric, being data-driven, having small pilots and experiments, and um, building cross-functional teams, that is absolutely everything that we're talking about today. 
Um, and this last point around the cross-functional team is something that uh, many of our clients are embarking on. We're helping them along with this process is, you know, how do we build out those teams so we have folks sitting at the same table um, that are representing these different functions, these different capabilities, uh, maybe even different product, depending on what you're trying to do. So um, I'm a big proponent of I, you know, thinking about Agile as a way of moving closer towards this kind of culture of collaboration. I think that's a really smart way to, to think about it. Would you say there are new skills or roles that you're seeing companies need now? I mean, I've, I've seen things like, you know, uh, kind of digital translators and, and, and things like that. Are there roles that you're starting to see in organizations that may not have existed five years ago, 10 years ago? Yeah, I think it is these these sort of bridging roles, right? So one that we talked about already is I'm um, a role where whether it's just in marketing or it's in technology that bridges I'm um, you know marketing to technology and or data. Data is even more important because I'm often marketing team don't know what data is available, what they can do. They just kind of feel like they want more of it. They're collecting it, not you know really kind of thinking through. Um, you know, what's possible, what's already in place, how is it being collected, all of that. Um, so I think that is one bridge role that we kind of think about a lot. Another is um, a bridge role that spans across channels and or products. Um, and that's something we call it different thing. We call it like a customer engagement manager, um, you know, something along those lines so that um, the point of view of this individual or team of individual really is to kind of sit across these different channels. So not replace them um, and, you know, not reorg all the channels to be, you know, one big omni-channel team, but really be that linkage, um, you know, to be saying, hey, you know what, how do we do a better job of connecting these experiences? Hey, by the way, do you know this is happening over there? So really the person who is kind of the connective tissue um, across these different pieces of the organization that need to be working together, um, but you know historically may not have collaborated as much. That, that makes sense. I know that I, you know that, that's one of the most I, I think valuable roles that exists is really that person that goes between and can make make all the things happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. You know, as as we as we look back, you know, we've we've talked now for uh, seems like about a half an hour. We've we've talked about organizational um, alignment in the ter- in the context of customer experience transformation. What we've what we've said are things like, you know, there there are two ways or two approaches that the companies are kind of going in this. There's a there's the top line view where we want to be we want to enable new capabilities, and there's another. Where it's a, it's more of efficiency. We've yeah. said that, you know, we've got we, there's a kind of a logical approach to going about how we do this, and you know, it really needs to come from the top down. And when yeah. it comes from the top down, we can have some level of KPI alignment, possibly some relief, but there's never real relief in, in a year, <laughs> at least not in my experience. No, right? not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, once, once we have that, it, it's really about enabling new ways of, of working, whether it's through new roles or, or kind of adopting an agile mindset. Did I, did I kind of capture that the right way? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Those are, yeah, all areas that we are thinking about all the time when we're engaged with a client, um, you know, to help them evolve. 
And, and so like, as, as we, what, what do you think we, we haven't hit on? Is there a place to get started? Is there, you know, don't do this sort of thing, or please, this is a horror story. What would you, what would you say? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to hit again on having, you know, the, the leadership involved. Um, it's just an uphill battle. Right. And I, I think there are a lot of folks who are in the day to day who sees a pain and want to achieve this vision. Um, and we just had a conversation the other day where, you know, they have to convince a senior leader of the organization this is the right thing to do. Um, it's a hard thing to sell in if someone or an individual or an organization is not inclined uh, to it already. So I think before starting anything to make sure that, um, you know, there is buy-in, there is belief that this is the right thing to do. And of course, you know, a partner like Merkel can help with that. Um, and then I think the other thing to think about is to, to start small, right? So think about the bridge role, think about um, a pilot project, um, and think about making this something really cool and exciting. So um, it's usually really successful when we see clients bring their best and their brightest, their rock star. Um, it could be an up-and-comer. It doesn't even have to be somebody super senior, um, but someone who's enthusiastic um, that people look up to, uh, their peers look up to, go a long way in terms of making this something that you know folks are excited about and want to do. Um, so getting the right people involved, whether that, you know, the leader, whether that, you know, the, uh, the, the rock star and building a pilot out and getting started and get those early wins in instead of, you know, I, I think striving for perfect because it's never going to be perfect. And I guess that's sort of the last part to accept that this is going to be an ongoing process. That's great. I, I love the point about getting people excited and, and you know making it fun and getting those those kind of natural leaders involved so that the others really come Definitely. along Absolutely. <laughs> you know it's you know a lot of this makes sense you know uh, which is what i love about it but it, it's it's not simple stuff so um is there any any last pieces that you want to yeah something i'll i'll bring up and this i know you get this question a lot too is what's the ideal org model Oof. Do you have it <laughs> Uh, so whenever I hear that, I'm, it makes me think that the focus is probably not in the right place. I, because, and, and this is what the, the, that's why people, I think sort of, I, you know, get a little fed up when we talk about this topic, because in their mind automatically it's like, Oh, another reorg. I, we're not, proponents of reorg. In fact, we don't believe it's even necessary. Uh, you know, there might be certain things that you want to do to realign people, but if you can work together, you know, in theory, you know, I don't care where you sit, right? That is something that's definitely up to the organization. But when we hear the question of, you know, what's the ideal org model, it makes me think they just want a quick fix. Um, you know, and there is no such thing. It really is as good as a company's ability to make the most of it. Um, so, you know, I think that's sort of one of those things I always kind of listen for. What is their first question? Is it around you know, what are all the things we should do to get to this end state? Or it's a question of, you know, we need a new org model. If it's the latter, I think, I'm, you know, we, we like to get into a deeper conversation to understand yeah. really what's driving it. Um, so, yeah, that's the one thing that does come up with enough frequency that I, I do want to bring it up. It's not a bad question. It should just be probably one of the very last questions in this uh, process and not the first. 
That's a great point. Right? What's your, what's your intended outcome? Is is really you can hear it from uh, from how they ask the question. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> like, show me what other companies are doing. Well, it doesn't matter what they're doing. And chances are, they have like every org model has problems too. That's the other thing. So, if there was a perfect org model, everybody'd be like doing it. So, uh, yeah, it it definitely is a very nuanced topic. Well, and, and, and from my experience, if if it does look like it's just a, a cookie cutter org model, uh, people see it, right? It's, it's not tuned. It has to be tuned to a company's unique circumstances and what they want to do. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It doesn't so, matter what other people are doing. It's what's yeah. right for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Margie, I want, I want to thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, we've covered a lot, a lot today from really the, the rationale, some of the to do some of the not to do some of the reasons and 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 thank you again margie it's, it's always a pleasure uh for everybody thank you for listening and we'll catch you on our next podcast and where we will explore in-store retail innovations looking forward to, to seeing everybody